This is Dr. Karen, and this is the Are They 18 Yet podcast, where I help parents raise independent, self-sufficient kids without sacrificing their own identity and sense of purpose. I'm here to share practical day-to-day solutions for raising kind, successful, well-adjusted human beings, and actionable advice for supporting systemic changes so we can make this world a more inclusive, accepting place now and for future generations. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 31 of the Are They 18 Yet podcast. In this episode, I'm going to continue the conversation about executive functioning, and I am going to specifically talk about people with ADHD. Now, executive functioning skills are so important because they are the skills that allow us to stay organized, focused, productive, self-regulate, and just get things accomplished. But with people with ADHD specifically, executive dysfunction is one of the hallmark characteristics. So if you have a child who has ADHD, or if you have ADHD yourself, this is an area where you absolutely have the capability of becoming productive and organized and successful, but because of the way that you're wired, you may need to be more strategic in teaching these skills, whether you are wanting to learn them yourself or whether you want to help someone that you're working with, whether it's your own child or a student that you have that needs to develop these skills in order to be successful in school and in life. So today I'm going to talk about procrastination and motivation because procrastination is something that comes up a lot with people who have attention issues and The culprit behind why it's happening is often not what people think. And so today I am going to talk about three reasons why procrastination is such an issue when ADHD is present and what you can do about it. So what skills people need in order to overcome that tendency to procrastinate. So I am taking this from number one, my own research as a professional, and also my own personal experiences working with kids who have ADHD, working with family members, and also my own issues with attention and some personal experiences that I have had. And I'll also be referencing the time tracking journal, which is my tool that outlines a lot of the strategies that I'm going to be mentioning today and something that will help to teach some of the skills that people need in order to overcome procrastination, especially the three things that I'm going to talk about today. So the time tracking journal is a simple tool that you can use to support kids in getting through day-to-day tasks where they might tend to delay or avoid or just be confused and not be able to do them independently. Whether this is getting ready for school in the morning, whether this is 
getting their things together and getting their room clean. All of those things require steps and executive functions. And in order to do that, you need to have a certain set of skills. You need to be able to tell how long things will take, what steps you need to take, and then you need to be able to self-regulate throughout that process to figure out if you're on track. And you also need to know how to get started. So with the Time Tracking Journal, I give you a strategy that helps with all of those things. And so to check it out, all you need to do is go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash time journal, and you will be able to get access and learn those strategies. But for now, let me get into the episode so that I can talk about what skills we actually want to teach with those strategies. Now, before I get into the three skills that people need in order to overcome procrastination, I wanted to talk about some common myths when it comes to people with ADHD specifically and just motivation and procrastination in general. And that is that many times people think that when someone is procrastinating or even when they're showing some defiant behaviors, when they don't want to put something down that is a preferred task and do something that they consider to be not so fun, that might be a little more challenging or that might not be their favorite thing to do. A lot of times people see that defiance as a behavior problem or they assume that it means that that person doesn't care, doesn't want to succeed, or the worst thing is that oftentimes people will think that the person is just lazy. And I have heard this so many times with when I was working in the school systems, there were many kids who they would just not put forth a good effort in their work and they'd always be the ones that were off task and avoiding or they would do the work and it would be sloppy or we'd ask them to go back and check their answers and we'd get an attitude or kind of a a snappy response. And a lot of times people who were working with those kids would sometimes just make those comments like, oh, he or she or they, they're just lazy. They don't care. They, oh, I guess, you know, we, we can't do anything about it because this is just a motivation issue. I can't make them care when they don't care. And I saw that happen so many times. And the way that it was addressed was often not really appropriate because many times when people see a behavior problem and they think that it's just, well, they're not motivated enough, so we need to give them some kind of positive reinforcement. And many times the solution would be things like, oh, let's give them you know, a sticker when he gets his homework done, or let's give her some some other kind of reward. And usually it was something really superficial. And what we would often see in those cases is that sometimes it might work temporarily where they might sometimes be able to pull it together and get whatever it was done in that moment. 
But typically what happened is that it didn't really work that well. And that's because we weren't addressing the root cause. It wasn't a behavior issue. It was more of a skill-based issue. And we were just trying to give them some external motivator without teaching them the skill. So we weren't necessarily giving them what they needed in order to do the task. Because it doesn't matter how motivated a person is to do a task if they don't have the skills to do it. This can happen for a lot of reasons, but when someone has ADHD, it is very common because of the way that they are wired. Now, this does not mean that we can't overcome and teach these particular skills. It just means that they might not be something that they just figure out naturally, again, because of the way that their brains are wired. They are literally wired in a way that makes it more difficult for them to be able to complete tasks that require multiple steps and planning. So what we need to do is figure out what skills that they're lacking and teach them those skills. So let's talk about what those skills are. I'm going to I'm going to use writing as an example because it's something that many people regardless of if they have ADHD or not, tend to find challenging. So this could be writing a paper in school, anything that requires some kind of extended response. And when I was working in the school systems, this is one of those areas where it would be like pulling teeth to get certain kids to do a writing assignment. And for many students, if they even knew that a writing assignment was coming up, we'd start to see those behaviors that we would deem as defiant. So refusing to do work, avoiding, you know, responses that many people would think are rude, those types of things. So I wanted to give this as an example as well, because sometimes kids might have writing assignments that they need to do at home. So if you have a child that you're supporting at home and they have to do some kind of written response, this is something that can go beyond school and also into home. So anytime there is some kind of extended response needed on a homework assignment, you might see some of these issues as well. And Typically, when we have a challenging task like this that requires different steps and there is procrastination, there are three things that are very common that tend to be a struggle when you see that procrastination. So the first thing is the ability to sense time and difficulty level of the task. The second thing is the belief that the task is attainable. And then the third thing is the ability to engage in self-talk throughout that process of doing that activity. So this doesn't just apply to writing. It applies to really anything that requires complex planning. But I will use writing as an example for this particular episode so that I can explain what those skills are and how they might apply. I'll start by talking about the ability to sense time and difficulty level. 
one of the executive functioning skills that we need in order to be productive and focused is the ability to figure out how long something will take and also the ability to figure out how much effort we will need to use in order to do the task. These are really important because number one, if you want to be able to get things done and meet deadlines and be able to plan your day, then you need to be able to figure out how long things will take so that you can plan for them and make sure that you give yourself enough time to get things done. And then the difficulty level is important as well. And that kind of correlates with time because typically if something is really short, it tends to be easier. Not always, but many times that is the case. So the ability to sense that difficulty level also gives us an idea of how we might plan our day. Because if you have something that you know is going to take you a lot of time and energy, you do need to make sure that you provide space for it in your schedule. Otherwise, you won't be able to get it done. And then you have to think about, all right, what are the other things I need to do after this task? If I have something that's really strenuous that I have to do, I might not be able to get these other things done afterwards because I might be tired. Or maybe I need to make sure that I conserve my energy before I do a certain activity because I know that I'm going to be tired before and after. One example for me specifically, I find situations that involve a lot of people and just having to talk and engage in small talk, I find those things to be energy draining. Not that I don't enjoy interacting with people, but those are things that take my energy. And so if I know that I have certain activities coming up that require me to do a lot of extroverting, as I like to call it, then I know that I need to conserve energy before and after. I know that I probably don't want to just overload my day if I have a lot of those particular things. And then I might back it up with something that allows me to recharge by myself so that I know that I am not just overloading myself. Sometimes if I have a difficult call coming up or some kind of a presentation, I will even think about it beforehand and I'll think about, okay, what are the other things that I'm planning on doing during the day before that activity? Sometimes I will purposely plan some other activities that I know are super easy that allow me to kind of zone out so that I'm not just exhausted by the time I get to whatever it is that I know is coming up. So I'll think about those things and I will plan my day accordingly. So I need to be able to sense how long something's going to take, how difficult something's going to be, my energy level before and after so that I don't burn myself out because what happens is I know that if I cram my day full that I'm going to be completely fried the next day and I'm not going to be able to get anything done and I will regress to the mean for me and how that looks for me is that the next morning I'll just kind of lay there in bed and hit snooze a million times and I won't actually get started with the things that I need to do the next day. So it's kind of this spiraling effect that I know happens. And because of that, I have to plan ahead. So being able to 
estimate the amount of energy something is going to take is really important for me. Now, this also can go the other way around as well. And this is something that tends to be very common for people who have ADHD is that Number one, on one hand, they may underestimate the amount of time or energy something is going to take, but then on the other side, they also might inflate the amount of time or energy something is going to take them, or they might make something seem harder than it actually is, and then that also causes them to be unproductive. How this sometimes manifests in myself is that I will get kind of stuck on certain things that I don't want to do, and I'll avoid them. And what happens is that the resistance to the actual activity is causing me to expend more energy than it would to just simply do the activity and move on to the next thing. And how this sometimes plays out with kids is that they might have a particular homework assignment and in their head, they will inflate the amount of time that it's going to take. And so they'll think in their heads, you know, this homework assignment, it's going to take my entire evening. I won't be able to do any of the other stuff that I want to do. And so they'll spend so much time arguing about whether or not they should do it and avoiding the task that it's just this thing hanging over their head. And because they haven't gotten it done, they can't relax and enjoy other things. They can't focus their energy on getting something else done because they have this open loop, this thing that they have to do. And if you have a child, that means that it might mean that your parents are nagging you to get your homework done, for example. And that's no fun for anybody. And something else that happens, which is something that I have experienced personally, that I have noticed that I have a tendency to do, is that when I have one of those things that I have deemed to be something that's not fun or something that I don't want to do, I will, again, kind of inflate it and I won't plan for things that I actually want to do. Or if I have a little bit of downtime, instead of enjoying that downtime and doing something fun that I might enjoy that might recharge me, I will be so preoccupied about the thing coming up that it just kind of sucks the energy out of my entire day. And again, it's because I am not accurately sensing the amount of time and energy that the task is going to take me. And so it causes a lot of anxiety. And then As a result, I get irritable, and that causes me to not be a very pleasant person. So the way that you actually get past this are a couple of different things. And the first thing is that, of course, in order for you to be able to sense the amount of time something is going to take is that you need experience with that actual activity. Sometimes when that anxiety comes up, it's because we don't have enough experience with the certain task to be able to tell how long it will take. And the only way to get better at it is to actually do the activity. So you have to kind of get over the hump and try it that first time and remember 
what we learned that first time so that we can apply it to different situations. So when you have somebody who is wired in a way that makes it hard for them to sense time, we need to make that as visual as possible. And we need to make sure that during that activity, we're really mindful about tracking how long things are going to take. Because if you're not explicit about that, if you're not giving a visual representation of that time passing, so for example, using a clock or a timer that is showing the passage of time, then it's going to be hard to apply that to other situations or to be able to apply it to that situation when it comes up again. So we need to be really direct and talking about that during whatever that activity is. But In addition to that, something else that can get in your head when you're having a hard time getting started with a task is your belief that the task is attainable. So obviously, this does go along with the amount of time that the task will take and the difficulty level. If you perceive it to be really difficult or taking a long time, then you might not think it's attainable. But this is partially about your belief about the task. And it's also about your belief about yourself. So in order to believe that something is attainable, you have to believe that you have the skills and ability in order to complete the task. And many times when I have seen kids struggling to get assignments done, it's because they have very few experiences that they can remember or that they can recall where they were successful with that task. And so as a result, they don't want to get started with it because they're avoiding pain and frustration. That is a natural human tendency. We don't like to be in pain. We don't like to feel like a failure. So if we can sense that an activity is coming up that we believe is not attainable for us, we will naturally try to avoid it and get out of doing it. And it doesn't matter how many external reinforcers you give someone, if they truly don't believe that they are capable of doing something, it is going to be very hard for them to get over that hurdle and get started with the task when it seems really hard, really overwhelming, and when they don't believe that they have the ability to complete that task. So, The catch-22 in this situation, just like with sensing time and difficulty level, is that the only way to start building that belief, or one of the most powerful ways to start building that belief that you can attain whatever that goal is, is to have experience with it. Because when you have experience with it, when you experience at least some success with the task or a task that is related to that task, then that's when you start to have that evidence in your head of, well, okay, I was able to do this task in this situation, so that means that I might be able to do this other thing over here, or I was successful with this before, or 
I'm starting to get better at this task because I'm improving over time or whatever it is. They have those examples that they can remember that can help to build that belief in their heads that they are capable of doing whatever that task is. And if they are always avoiding it, then you're literally avoiding the thing that you need to do in order to be able to do that task. So that's where it gets challenging because you can't tell how long something's going to take if you don't just try it and you can't give yourself the opportunity to be successful with it if you don't do it and get out of your comfort zone. So those are really those first skills that tend to be lacking when we see executive dysfunction. Those are two things that are common culprits is that ability to estimate time and the ability to build the self-beliefs that you are able to attain the task. So the question becomes, okay, How do we actually get someone over that hump and get them out of their comfort zone, whether it be something that we're doing for ourselves or whether it be doing something for a child that we are supporting? And that brings me to the third skill that is often lacking when executive dysfunction is present, and that is the ability to engage in self-talk. This is one of the huge aha moments for me and also for a lot of the professionals and parents that I mentor, and and that is that many times if someone is presenting with executive functioning difficulties, if they're having a hard time reading situations or just going through a situation and regulating their own behavior, it's because they're not engaging in self-talk, and that's something that didn't necessarily occur to me right away that some people don't engage in that internal dialogue in a way that is effective and enables them to get things done. So self-talk can be used for a number of different things, but it is extremely important when it comes to building our own self-esteem, building positive beliefs about ourselves, and then also just being able to use strategies to go through our day so that we're staying organized and productive. When it comes to doing some of the things that I've been talking about so far in this episode, such as estimating how long something will take, how difficult it will be, how much effort it will take, and then your ability to execute whatever that is, is that we need to engage in self-talk for building a strategy around doing the task, we need to use that same type of strategy self-talk to talk ourselves through the task while we're doing it. So we need to do it before preemptively to plan ahead and get started. But then we also need to engage in that self-talk during the task and then after the task to let us know, are we on track? Are we going to meet our goal? And then afterwards, how did we do? What are we going to do next time? things like that. But then we also need to engage in the self-talk that helps to build our beliefs about our ability to do whatever that is. So just when we're doing that self-evaluation, we need to be able to talk ourselves through the things that we did well and the things that we didn't, because those things that we did well, there's a way that we can word that into just building the beliefs that, okay, we're, we're getting better, We can do this again in the future. And then for the things that we 
didn't necessarily do well, we need to talk to ourselves in a way that is constructive and helps us get better, but doesn't totally demoralize us. So for example, seeing it as I'm a failure as a person, as opposed to I made a mistake and I can do this differently next time kind of a thing. Now, while there are a lot of things that I do find overwhelming, one of the things that I have managed to utilize good self-talk and be productive with is, is writing. And so I wanted to talk about what goes through my head as I'm writing, because that's something that comes up a lot. And, and that is one of the examples that I gave today that I said that I would go through. So when I am writing, I utilize all of these types of self-talk that I mentioned. So there's strategy self-talk at the beginning where I am talking about, okay, what are my steps? So before I even engage in any type of writing, usually what I'm doing is I'm talking myself through what my outline is. So for example, I might be asking myself, okay, what's the main topic? What are my main points? Okay, what are my points underneath those points? And then as I'm doing that, as I'm creating my outline, I am thinking in my head all kinds of different things, such as, okay, which point goes with this? Where was I going with this? What is my next thing that I want to explain? Am I making sense? Does this flow? And I am thinking about all those different things as I am planning my outline, such as, okay, what topic am I going to start with? What are the different details that I need to explain here? So as I'm writing and as I'm writing my outline, I'm thinking about all of those things. There are other things that come up as well that are a little bit more on the emotional level that still are somewhat tied to the strategy. And, and that is that every single time I sit down to write, I feel this sense of resistance. And I don't really feel like sitting down to do it. I have had enough experience with writing and with this particular task that I understand what that feeling means. I know that that feeling of resistance is something that naturally happens when I am about to sit down and do something that's going to require a lot of energy and focus. But it doesn't mean that, number one, I can't do it, that it's too hard, and that I can't complete the task. Sometimes when people feel that sense of resistance, they make other assumptions, meaning, oh, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing right now. It's too hard. I can't do it. This feeling's not going to go away. So I always, when I feel that sense of resistance, when I'm writing, I don't make the assumption that it's going to stay there. I tell myself, oh, this is going to go away. This is normal. This is part of the process. I can work through it because I know that I need to sit down and give myself time to settle in before I get into a flow. Because with writing especially, and honestly with a lot of tasks that do require a lot of mental energy and focus, that initial feeling of resistance is normal. 
It's kind of like when you're working out or even when you get up in the morning. I know that when I am going for a run, for example, at the very beginning, sometimes I feel a little bit stiff and tired, but I know that as I get warmed up, I'm going to ease in. So anytime I feel that resistance, I know that it's only temporary. And I tell myself that, but the reason that I believe that it is only temporary is because I have lots of evidence, because I have lots of experience where I felt that feeling and it got better. And later on, I realized, oh, look at that. I was able to work way longer than I thought that I could. And I was able to get this done, even though I felt like I had nothing to say and I felt like I was going to be staring at a blank page. So I talked through my strategy and my outline first, and I'm always writing things down beforehand as well as I'm writing that outline. But the overall strategy that I have is usually something like, what are my steps? And are usually questions around what my steps are, if I'm on track, what I need, and things like that. And then in the middle of the task, it's more along the lines of, okay, am I on track? Do I need to change? Do I need to make any adjustments? And then afterwards, it's all about, okay, how does this look? Did I complete the task? Did I meet my goal, et cetera? And so all of those things are things that I would engage in throughout the task. With writing, a lot of times I might go back and read what I've written to make sure that it makes sense. I might go back and ask myself, does this make sense? Does this flow after the fact? So that's how I would apply it specifically to writing. But you could do this general process really with anything that requires a lot of different steps where you're going back and you're looking at something that indicates your rate of progress, something tangible that is going to show you if you met your goal or not, and then asking yourself the question of, did I get there? Do I need to go back and fix something? What are my next steps? So really, all three of these skills that I mentioned today, the ability to sense time, the ability to build positive beliefs, and the ability to engage in self-talk all really go together because in order to be able to sense time and build those beliefs, you need to be engaging in that self-talk and In order to have some context to engage in that self-talk, you need to be doing the activities and paying attention to the passage of time during those activities and asking yourself questions about what you believe about yourself. Okay, what does this mean? I I did or I didn't meet my goal. What can I do next time? And, And that is what helps to build all of those things. So really, all three of these things play off of each other. And when you are able to do all of these skills, that is what helps you to get over the hump when you have something that appears to be very difficult. If you aren't able to engage in that self-talk and start to talk about how long things are going to take in your strategy, then it's going to be very hard for you to plan enough time and Give yourself enough space and energy to complete whatever it is that you're going to do. And it's also going to be very hard to talk yourself into doing what you need to do. Because again, it might be that you have a tendency or that your child has a tendency to overinflate whatever it is that they're doing 
which causes that resistance and that tendency to procrastinate. And again, many times that is just an avoidance of pain and frustration because they don't necessarily have the skills to be able to talk through the strategy and execute. The good news is that it is possible to teach all of these skills All it really requires is some focused attention every day. And if you are a parent or if you are some type of practitioner and you're wanting to work on all of these skills with a child that you are supporting, there is actually a set of different strategies that you can use that can help kids to get themselves over the hump when they have some kind of task that seems very overwhelming because really the challenge is getting them started so that they have those repeated opportunities of success because that's really what it takes in order to start building all of these skills that I have mentioned today. So I actually walk through a very simple process that you can use to start building these skills, to start engaging in self-talk, to start planning the different steps in the strategies that you need to do in order to complete homework assignments, whether it's writing, whether it's a math worksheet, whether it's something else, maybe it's just getting their school bag organized, whatever it is. When you teach kids how to talk themselves through that strategy, it's actually possible for them to start applying this to other situations. And that's really what we want. So in the time tracking journal that I mentioned before, I talk through a set of evidence-based strategies and ways that you can question kids and utilize some different techniques to start helping them to shift what they believe about themselves and about some of the different things that they have to do on a day-to-day basis so that you can start getting them out of their comfort zone so that they can be more confident and successful. And really, this specific tool that I walk through, the time tracking journal, I show you how to just go through a simple process that you can use with simple daily routines. When you get this strategy nailed down and get really good at it, it's something that you can do in about 10 to 15 minutes a day. And you just walk through a set of questions and you model some different self-talk with kids so that you are initially modeling it for them But ultimately, what you want them to do is to be able to start engaging in that self-talk and asking them a specific set of questions that's going to help them stay motivated, use a strategy when they are going through their day-to-day steps or whatever tasks they have to do so that they can start to be more independent. That way, they don't have that tendency to avoid difficult tasks They have a strategy for tackling them so that they can decrease that anxiety, help build their self-esteem, and then also help give them experiences with those particular tasks that they need to practice so that they can be successful in school and life. So to grab that time tracking journal and get that simple strategy, all you need to do is go to drkarendudakbrannon.com backslash time journal. Again, that's drkarendudakbrannon.com backslash time journal. So 
I will show you some simple tools that you can use in order to start helping your kids have a better sense of time, have a better ability to plan their day and estimate how long things will take, and then also build their self-esteem in the process so that they can go through their day strategically instead of feeling kind of unorganized or disempowered because They are avoiding things that are difficult for them when really, if they were given the right strategy, they are perfectly capable of handling it. So this is a good place for me to wrap up. Again, be sure if you are supporting someone who needs help with overcoming that tendency to procrastinate, that feeling of resistance, definitely check out that time tracking journal and also be sure to share this episode with anyone you know who is supporting someone with ADHD. For now, we will wrap up, but thank you so much for listening and I will see you in episode 32.